Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What are some of the things that you naturally gravitate towards? For whatever reason, I'm guessing one of those is travel because you're listening to this show, but what are some of the other things and how can that impact your travels or your life? I'm going to share some thoughts on that a little bit later in this episode. Plus, one of my favorite travel filmmakers stops by. I was so lucky to have this conversation with him. He makes these incredible short travel films, and we go a lot deeper than just filmmaking. We talk about his creative process for capturing a place visually, and as we all walk around with our smartphones when we're traveling, we love to take pictures. There's going to be some great useful stuff there for you. We talk about personal freedom. We talk about having a passion project when you travel, what can that do for you and why stories are the only thing that make us unique in the world. We talk about how you can go about involving locals in some of your projects. We talk about gear. We talk about careers in competitive industries and a lot more. It's all coming right now in this show. So buckle up, heat up some tea, maybe make a little coffee. I don't know, whatever, whatever relaxes you. It's time for a little you time right now. Sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time with me today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Thanks for getting cozy with me today, keeping me company today. I've got a couple candles lit in front of me. I'm actually lighting another one right now. I'm looking at a Christmas tree. There's snow on the ground. You know... It's the holiday season, and I'm feeling cozy today, and I thank you for spending this time here with me. And I've got a couple shout-outs to give to some listeners in the Zero to Travel community here, this caravan, and I have... I guess I have to apologize to somebody who uh, just left me a review. I'll tell you what that's all about in just a second. First, I want to say a quick thanks to Victorinox for supporting today's show. If you haven't heard of that brand, or maybe it sounds familiar, you probably know them from the official Swiss Army knife. They have the Swiss Army knives. They're the suppliers for the actual Swiss Army. 
I've had one forever, not because I'm in the Swiss Army, but because it's an incredible piece of travel gear and they reached out after I included them into my travel list and they decided to extend you guys a coupon code for their travel gear. So if you go to victorinox.com, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-N-O-X.com and use the promo code 015, you can get 15% off just for being a listener of this podcast. They, of course, make the Swiss Army knife and the multi-tool, which I've had for years. That's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. But did you know Victorinox also makes some of the best luggage currently on the market? They have carry-ons in multiple sizes with thoughtful details such as removable USB ports and padded laptop compartments. These check bags can expand up to 47%. They're available in both hard and soft side. And if you're familiar with the Swiss Army design, you know they really design things well. They're not only functional, but great to look at and great products all around. So if you want to find the perfect suitcase for your next trip or check out some of the Swiss Army products they have, the watches. I've had one of their watches in the past. I'm a big fan, and I was really glad they reached out to support today's show and give you that 15% off discount just by entering the promo code 015 when you check out over at victorinox.com. And that coupon code is good to the end of the year, till December 31st. So get your gift shopping on and check them out at victorinox.com. Thanks to them for supporting today's show. Now... We are going to slip and slide into this conversation with Simon, one of my favorite travel filmmakers out there right now. I love when people just take something they're passionate about just because they want to put something together uh, for their own creative spirit, for their own creative soul. Uh, it's something Simon has done with him, his films. Uh, these aren't films that he gets paid to make, uh, at least right now. They're films that he does out of just the pure love of filmmaking and travel, combining those two passions. Such a beautiful thing. And I want to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show and some of the things that you might naturally gravitate towards and how those may or may not play into your current or future travels. Just some questions to ponder, which I always like to kind of throw out there. So stick around for the post-interview portion, and we'll have a little dialogue about that. I do want to say a quick I'm sorry to uh, somebody who wrote me a review, Jedediah Smith. Uh, in the last podcast, I mentioned that I do not like those travel zip-off pants that zip off into shorts. I just don't like them. Uh, apparently, that hurt Jedediah's feelings. She said, that hurt, left me two-star review and said, the only kind of pants I own are zip-off short ones, and what you said about them being ugly really hurt my feelings. I'm sorry. I truly am. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I just, uh, you know, style's a personal thing. It's totally subjective. And I'm sorry, but that's that I do not like them for myself. That's how I feel about them for myself. And uh, I was just expressing my opinion there. So anyway, for all of you travelers that wear the zip off short pants things, uh, if I hurt anybody else's feelings, I apologize. Don't take offense, please. This is a, it's all a personal thing, what you wear, right? It's just whatever you feel comfortable in. I personally don't feel comfortable in them. I don't like the way the zipper rubs up against my leg. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the idea of zipping my pant legs off. I still don't like anything about them. I'm sorry. But if they're your jam, man, stand by those pants. Rock those pants proudly. You should. And why not? It's all a personal thing, right? Hey, life's too short to worry about what, what people think about what you're wearing and what you're doing in what you're wearing or whatever. Just... 
you be you. You do you. So keep rocking those zip-off pants if they're your thing. And uh, I will ask the zip-off pant people to please stop leaving me two-star reviews. That that hurts. That hurts me. <laughs> All right. Let's get into today's show. On the other side, I do have another shout-out to share from this community. And we'll get into that other question about the gravitational pull of the things that you gravitate towards and have a little recap of this interview afterwards. So please enjoy. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Are we recording? Does that mean we're officially podcasting right now? I, you tell me, man, you're the boss. Are we officially podcasting right now? <laughs> it seems like we might be. You're the boss. You're the guest. <laughs> you're the boss. Bossed? You're the boss. Uh, <laughs> you can tell I have barely talked to anybody today except my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and my, like, just-over-year-old son. So, bleh, bleh, bleh. I'm warming yeah, my mouth. I'm like that. I work at home all the time, and um, whenever my girlfriend gets back from work, she's been spending all day speaking to people, and I've been spending all day in, trapped in my own thoughts. And when she gets home, I'm like a dog who's just, like, had its owner come home. I just want to, like, offload words to her and... uh yeah, she she finds it she gets, it's a bit uh, it's a bit much sometimes for her. I know the feeling, man. So our our wives <laughs> should probably, or it's your girlfriend, I guess. My wife can talk to her, and they can sort of empathize with each other because they have to deal with our nonsense <laughs> when they come home, our verbal diarrhea, I guess you could call it. Yeah, <laughs> at least on my it, end, I'm the... sure. I'm sure it's yours isn't, but uh, well, it's exactly should, the same, mate. I should, <laughs> I should let everybody know who I'm talking to. And uh, our guest today is Simon Mulvaney from England, as you can hear from his accent. Uh, you can check out his website, <laughs> smulvaney.tv, S-M-U-L-V-A-N-E-Y.tv. And what you're going to find there are some incredible travel films that he's made. Simon, when you first reached out to me via email and you just really just like sharing, you're like, hey, check out this film I made. Uh, I, I'm like, all right. You know, like a lot of people send me different things. And I check this out. I'm like... Whoa! This is incredible. I think the first one you sent was uh, Annapurna Sky, I believe. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And then uh, I was just an instant fan. You just made another film about India uh, that's coming yeah, out. Right. Uh, you want to tell people about that one? Yeah, totally. Well, you know, as with, you know, I think that everyone's kind of aware of the travel film concept now. It's a pretty big, big concept, isn't it? People trying to visually interpret their experiences from being in a country into some sort of moving image with music and sound effects and all that kind of thing. And for me, it it works kind of like a diary and it tries to capture the feelings that I experienced when I was there that, you know, maybe a single image or or something like that, or even writing in a diary might not be able to fully capture. Um, I think that it's, it's obviously like quite a big medium now. I'm a massive fan of it. I love it. I love how it takes people places, you know, and it can inspire you to want to visit a new place or or it can give you a real sense of what that place is like. And uh, The Hand of India, which is my new film, is like the latest latest kind of culmination of that or my latest attempt at that. Another one where I turned it on, I was just blown away. And uh, these are really short films. So I I just wanted to share this with people because I really want them to check out your work. Also, like I think, like you just said, kind of echoing what you said, watching your films does transport you there, I think, in a way that 
I haven't experienced before. Like you get this sort of visceral reaction just with how fast you're cutting and some of the, just the pacing of everything. And that just seems to be part of your style, I guess. I, I want to talk about your, your film style a bit and how you go about representing a place visually because that's a, that's a hard mm-hmm. task, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit and it takes it. It's always one of those things where whenever I arrive somewhere, so I arrived in India and I knew I wanted to make a film about my experience in India, but my first, my main aim is just to experience it. And the challenge, because I'm usually traveling with my girlfriend, is balancing experiencing the, co- the country legitimately without the camera, because the camera does change your experience quite considerably, and capturing and trying to interpret those experiences. And whenever I, I arrive in a country, I'm always quite like filled with a bit of anxiety and stress because I have this idea of what I want this film to be through doing a little bit of research before I go, you know, seeing photography images, seeing other people's films and, and things like that and, and finding out things about the social and the cultural makeup of a country. And I'm filled with this stress because I almost want the film to be done, you know, as soon as I kind of touch down. So the, my first day taking the camera out, I'm like looking for these shots, you know, I'm like trying to um, meet as many people as I can. I'm trying to get them to take me backstage into their shops and, and restaurants and all that kind of thing and show me the inner belly of, of their society. Um, and nothing that I ever capture in the first week or even two weeks is remotely usable, usually. It usually takes quite some time to settle into the country understand what it is, let yourself kind of be absorbed by the, its people and its culture and its religion and society. And in all honesty, you know, I, when I make these films, it can only go so far. You know, essentially I am still a tourist there. I'm not going to see the deep, deep recesses of what it means to be a citizen of that country or a person who's lived in that country for a long time. I'm never going to really achieve that unless I spend a long time there. Um, but what I try to create is like a, a bit of a surface level experience um, through video that maybe through the creation of it might be able to take you a little bit deeper. But whilst also in a way trying to uh, express a little bit of like who I am as, as a person, you know, if you, if you go and check out the film, The Hand of India, the Hand of India you'll notice that um, there's an orchestral piece of music to it. You know, the, the, um, the traditional way of doing it might be to put something that sounds a little bit Indian, but actually the music sounds quite European in its, in its sound. And I, I did that because, you know, I'm coming at India from a European's perspective. Um, so that's why I've kind of chosen that music. Um, you'll also notice that there's an incredible speech by uh, Indira Gandhi um, that is talking about friendship and trust and openness and the importance of these things within the fabric of a society. And the reason I chose to put that at the start to intro the film is because I would, even though the film is about India, I would still like it to represent certain elements of the society that I experienced back home. And the UK, much like the US at the moment, where you're originally from, is going through some very interesting changes to do with their maybe mistrust of people of slight difference, you know, from, from yourself. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of like my, in a nutshell, the process of how I go about doing it. It starts with a lot of anxiety and just trying to get the film done. And then eventually I slow down and start to observe and, and uh, kind of take it all in my stride a little bit and go from there. I want to talk to you about how having a project allows you to maybe connect in different ways than you wouldn't be able to connect if, uh, if you weren't doing this thing. But first, just to clarify these films, when we say film, we're talking about they're usually under five minutes, right? Yeah. Very yeah, short sure, film. yeah. Now, how long does it take to make one of these? The specific one we're talking about, The Hand of India, took, you know, I shot it in 2017. So it took two years to make, but that's, but that it takes two years because I'm not working on it. It's not like I'm working on it every day for two years, you know, other projects come along. I have to make money. This is a complete passion project, this India project that I made. So I'm not getting paid anything for it. I'm not making any money out of it. Um, I'm just trying to express something, a little piece of myself and, and try to create something that the people of India might be, might relate to in some way. Um, but so it took it was a two year period of cutting it. But I'd say that if I was to clear my diary completely and just sit down, and edit it, start to finish, it might take two months. But I make most of my money making commercials and online content for brands. Um, I kind of specialize in I'm going more and more into documentary as a like as a medium or a genre. Um, but I, I kind of do other things as well. I do like um, action sports stuff. Uh, in the past, I used to do a lot of fashion. Um, I used to do a couple of music videos, uh, like pop promos. Um, a little bit of everything, really. It, it's just, it always comes down to a couple of rules that I set for myself. Like, is the product or the brand um, ethically in line with my own beliefs? Um, is it a product that can help people and is the project narrative based? And if those boxes are ticked, then, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to take on the project. Yeah, clearly you have a passion for it because anybody that's, you know, doing this full time and then in their spare time, they're also doing that. <laughs> it kind of says a lot about uh, yeah. your love for it. I mean, when you were growing up, what part of England did you grow up in? I grew up on the Wirral. Um, which is a small, it's a small peninsula just south of Liverpool, the city of Liverpool, and just north of Wales. It's kind of tucked right between those two places. It's a, it's a really lovely part of the UK. Is it a, like a small village that you grew up in? or what? It's like a district and it, it's got a really interesting makeup of, of kind of relative rich and poor you know um it's kind of like a, a suburb of, of the city of liverpool i would say um and some of some of the people who obviously spend a lot of time working in liverpool kind of spread out into in, onto the Wirral. um it's got a really interesting makeup of people um it's got a really interesting diversity of landscapes you know there's a lot of forests and fields but there's also a relatively big city in uk standards um, very close and then you've obviously got Wales which is you know there's a lot of untouched land there which is really nice uh, it's, a re it's a really beautiful part of the UK it's lovely how did you get into filmmaking was it something that you did growing up was it something you were always interested in or what was it what was that relationship with film for you growing up I remember the first time that I um, I thought to myself oh like wow you can just pick up a camera and, and shoot something and then that's a film, you know, um, because that's kind of as easy These as These epiphanies, is. because 
clearly like I, I try to tell my daughter that because they're like these are like simple ideas that I didn't realize till later too. Like, hey, see this book we're reading? Like somebody wrote this and they drew all the pictures yeah. and they made it. A person made this. Like you can make anything, you know? When that hits you as a kid and you realize it, you're like, oh yeah, they're just like people using a camera and I can use a camera too. Totally, totally. Yeah, it absolutely blows your mind. The specific thing that taught me was my, my dad is a bit of a joker and um, he ended up making a, a little film. Did you guys in the US have a TV show called Through the Keyhole? No. It was a show in the UK, like a TV show, where you went inside to a celebrity's house. It was before MTV Cribs and all that. And you went inside a celebrity's house and it showed you the house and it kind of did it in a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comedy style. And then people had to guess whose house it was, you know, by looking at the artwork on the walls or the, the makeup of the house. And my dad ended up making this little, it must have been 10 or 15 minutes long, where he broke, not broke into, he got all the husbands of all the um of all of our family friends to let him into their houses and make this little thing where he kind of he just like kind of took the piss out of their house he like um planted like dildos in um in drawers and stuff like that and then he presented this film to all like the wives and the families and stuff like that i remember watching it and thinking that's really funny i remember finding it really funny as a kid and i remember just thinking that's my dad and his mate filming him and that's how easy it is so we ended up borrowing a friend's camera, me and some friends, and, and just started shooting stuff. And and we wouldn't ever go into it with a plan. We'd just kind of, we'd be like, right, we've got the camera for the day, what we're going to film? And then we'd just make something up, you know? And uh, and some of the guys that I that I started making films with, they all make films now as well. Um, or, or they're designers, or they work in the creative industry in some way. So you could tell that we were all drawn to it in quite a natural way, I think. I'm guessing you had some support because some... Sometimes, you know, people come from a background where they're interested in those things, but then they have people telling them, oh, well, that's not a practical path. You know, you should study to be a lawyer or something like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, the my parents didn't have a video camera when I was growing up. They just, uh, they used to always borrow, borrow ones from friends, you know, if they ever needed one. So when I first started doing it, I would borrow um, like a family friend's camera. And then eventually my, my dad got a little family camera, you know, it must have been, it was a very, very cheap thing. In, in turning it into a career, it was a very natural thing for me. You know, I kind of, uh, I, I suppose I probably received the most amount of support with my parents recommending that I go to film school um, because I, I, you know, the age of 16, 17, whenever you're making these decisions, I, I kind of had no concept that something like film school even existed, you know? And uh, so that was probably the biggest bit of support, but then they also supported me in, you know, little things like allowing me to use the home computer to edit, edit my films on and, um, you know, uh, supporting me in different ways like that. Um, but yeah, they, they never, I don't think they ever told me that it was an unrealistic career. So I just presumed it was realistic, you know, whoever's naysaying at the time, are they forgetting there's like all of these things are entire industries <laughs> that have jobs and yeah. things going on. Like <laughs> it's, uh... uh, in the UK, especially now the creative industries are one of the biggest industries there, you know, like this, the UK where I'm originally from, it doesn't really have many, big industries you know a lot of its industries are service industries now so the the creative industries whether it's like the advertising industry or you know um creating content for broadcast 
they're, they're big industries. They, you know, they employ tens of thousands of people, if not more. And um, it's, it's a very realistic career path, I would say. Probably more realistic than other things. I do want to go back to that question about having the passion project while you're on the ground. And I understand that's a balance with your girlfriend and your time and experiencing the country. I think there's a lot more around that. But also um, on, the, on the plus side, I would say in my experience, you know, when I did this podcast series in Nepal, trekking in Nepal, it was just like, I, I was doing it just out of pure love. And it's just, I just kept kind of interviewing my guide because it was just fun. And it was just like really this great excuse to learn more about Nepal and to uh, connect with him in a different way and really ask deeper questions. And I don't think if I went down that road with the with the recorder and I kind of like officially recorded these conversations where they were casual, but knowing me, I would have asked a lot of the same questions for sure. But it just kind of gets you thinking in a different way, I suppose, you know, and it might heighten your awareness to some specific things around the place that you're in. Um, and it might connect you to it in a different way. And I'm not saying it's better or worse uh, to choose a project and do it. But I have found just talking to a lot of people like another another guy I talked to a while back, he was he was really into coffee. He was bike touring through Europe, and so it was like he was doing this thing on his blog. So it was like a good excuse for him to kind of reach out to these coffee shops, and he probably wouldn't have had these been able to meet the owners of these places and really dive deep on coffee because they just would have been busy. But since he had this thing, it was it was a little more accessible, I suppose. What do you think about all that? I mean, have you found have you been able to connect with? local people in a different way because you have the camera in your hand or maybe that creates a disconnect for some people i don't know no absolutely absolutely i think that like the camera whether whether it's a camera in my case or it's like you know an audio recording device in your case it kind of legitimizes a really inquisitive nature so you're it, you you feel like it's okay to ask questions that maybe you wouldn't get away with asking otherwise and it kind of legitimizes that with the other person. You know, it allows you to delve a little bit deeper and talk about really, really personal issues that, you know, why the hell would they tell you very, very personal stuff or emotional stuff if you're just asking them? You know, it's very rude almost, isn't it? Or at least for a British person, it's very rude. Our manners are insane. But it just kind of lets you get deeper emotionally, I think. And, you know, for example, the, the Hand of India film, there's no... It's got this voiceover from Indira Gandhi, which is captured, it's from the 1980s. So it's very, very, very old, well, very old comparably to now. Um, but other than that, there's no um, dialogue in it. I didn't interview anyone. But still, having the camera, you know, 95% of what I shot didn't make it into the film. So you don't see this when you watch the film. But I was invited into, like, um, paper-making manufacturing, like, you know, um, facilities um, I was invited into kitchens, restaurants, um, houses, you know, all this, all this stuff just because people see me filming outside and they just come over to me. And even though they can't speak English, they just wave me inside. I go inside and they, they're very proud to show me certain parts of their life, even if we can't talk to each other, you know. So um, I would always kind of go you know, I would, I would end up having like two or three days of not filming anything so I could hang out with my girlfriend and enjoy it with her. And then I would have a day or an afternoon or a morning of going and shooting stuff. And when I'd come back from shooting, I'd have all these stories, all these experiences that, um, that I wanted to tell her. And then when we'd go out without the camera, 
we kind of wouldn't get the set those same in that same intimacy with the with the people or the location um so it's a very interesting thing i think that whether you, if you're doing a film or you're doing like a, telling a narrative through some sort of audio um production or even if you're just writing or something like that and you you ask people questions and you have a little notepad or something it kind of legitimizes you to go deeper than what you would be able to otherwise and it turns into a really visceral beautiful experience are you able to shut it off when you're on the that three-day break, say, with your girlfriend and you're traveling and you're just like, I'm sure you see things and you're like, oh, that would have been a good shot. Darn it. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Um, I mean, in the case of when I was in India, I, so I had this idea of, of um, that I was going to, you know, I left my job back at home and we bought a one-way ticket um, and we'd saved up, you know, a, a good amount of money. And um we were just going to go go away, and in my head, I was going to become like one of these digital nomads, you know, where you travel from place to place. Um, so when I went, I, it wasn't just like the, you saw the hand of India and Annapurna Sky. I've also got a couple of other films about Japan um, and Southeast Asia that I'm still working on. Um, but and but I also had other projects. You know, I also was doing a vlog, for example, which has never seen the light of day and will never see the light of day because the amount of time that it would take to cut it now all this time later is just too big and I'm doing other things. So I was, even if I didn't have my main DSLR with me, I still had like a GoPro with me and I was still vlogging everything. So it's, you know, piss off my girlfriend sometimes because she just wants to like kind of hang out. But for me, it's, it's a way of documenting my experiences. And for that particular trip, we were away for 15 or 16 months. And there was no way I was going to write a diary for that amount of time and have it, you know, capturing all these experiences. You know, it'd be huge. When I was traveling in South America, I mean, I don't even know if podcasts existed or maybe they just kind of started existing. Uh, but I never heard of podcasts it's like in 2005, 2006. For some reason, I mm. bought... I, I was thinking about this the other day. I bought a like a small recorder, you know, like a reporter would use with a tape, you know, oh, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. remember talking to people and like kind of interviewing them and just having conversations. And I just thought about this actually. It was like the other, I mean, it was the last month or something. And I was like, wow, I've kind of always wanted to do this, I guess. I just yeah, yeah. didn't make the connection that I was even doing this before I was doing this as a podcast. It's a, it's a cool thing. Like when you just kind of let yourself naturally gravitate to what makes you curious and then just go with it. You know, I mean, you never know where mm -hmm. it's going to lead. When you took off for that first trip, because we should talk about your journey a little bit, and then I want to get into some practical stuff around like how you shoot people and maybe some gear questions and things like that. Did you have any kind of advice for people around that part of your life where you were like saving up money, getting ready to take off, doing the one-way open-ended ticket thing? Like, How was that whole experience for you? You know, these are, this is like some of my favorite yeah. stuff to talk about, so... So it's it's all about it's all about budget, or at least it was for us. Um, I remember I remember the the decision. Um, the decision was made because I was in in the office at the production office that I used to work at, an amazing company in Manchester. But um, they were doing a Euro Millions syndicate, which is the European lottery, you know, um, and they were getting all these people to pitch in, you know a pound or two pound or however much it was and you, they would buy x amount of tickets and i remember on the bus home that day i was thinking oh my god what would i do if i won that amount of money 
And I remember thinking to myself, you know what I'd do? I'd put it away, I'd get a financial advisor, put it away, and then I'd live off a very, very small amount of it because I think that that kind of amount of money can corrupt someone and change who they are. And what would I do if I had just that small amount of money? Well, I'd go traveling, you know, I'd go, I'd pack my bag and I'd go a one-way ticket and I'd go away. And then I thought, well, how much money do you actually need to do that? And I came to the figure of, um, I think I think 15 or 16 months cost, it cost me £8,500 British. And it cost my girlfriend's, for the whole time, yeah. And it cost my girlfriend 7,500. It cost me a thousand pound more because I screwed up some flights from Japan to Mexico and had to spend load, like a thousand pound basically going to Mexico from Japan through Russia and London. That's a pretty low budget. That's great. It was, but the thing was, we downloaded an app called a Trail Wallet. It's only available on iOS. I wish it was available on Android because I'm on an Android phone now and it, it, I, my travels aren't the same anymore. You know, my, my way of keeping track of money is not the same. It's a really, really good app. And we bought it before we went on our trip and we set ourselves a you know, budget goal because we set ourselves saving goals. Okay, this is how much we earn each month. This is how much we want to save each month because we have you know, eight, 12 months to save our money. Um, this is how much money we want. So we set ourselves a budget and we used the app while we were in the UK. It was hard to save to save that amount of money, but I don't feel like we made so many sacrifices. You know, we'd still go to the birthday parties, we'd still kind of hang out with friends and go to go to social events, but we'd just really control our spending and and um, you know, if it was a big night out, we'd take a hip flask, you know, and with a bit of whiskey in it or something. So we would, you know, it just like all these little things. Um, and then when we were there, we, we set ourselves a budget using a website. I've forgotten what the website's called, but if you type into Google backpacker budget calculator, I think that's what I searched to find it. You find a website that gives you a rough estimate of how much a daily budget in each country or region would be. Uh, and we use that to kind of make a, make a bigger budget. India, for example, was eight pound a day each. Um, whereas other countries like Myanmar, where it's a bit more expensive, or Japan, I think I think Japan was thirty pound a day each. Um, so it just you know, it, and it, it fluctuated and differed based on that. But we were able to last, you know, make what nine thousand US dollars or eight thousand US dollars last fifteen months, you know, which is a very long period of time. We're, I mean, don't get me wrong, we were both in. I was in a relatively lucky situation where I earn, I mean, I didn't even earn average money for the UK. You know, I didn't, I earned below the average salary in the UK. My girlfriend was on, you know, it wasn't quite minimum wage, but it, it wasn't much because she chooses to work, um, to spend less of her time working and more of her time doing the things that she enjoys to do. And she didn't really want that to change so much. So she was, you know, neither of us were making a huge amount of money, but it was just about the sacrifices that we made on the lead up to the trip. Um, in that year-long period. And it was, you know, some things were a little bit hard, but God, it was it was so worth it. So, so worth it because it was probably the most life-defining experience of, of our lives, one of them at least so far, that, that trip away. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, obviously it's still impacting your life. Now you're traveling around the world and making films yeah. and you're in Thailand right now, right? Yeah, I'm in Thailand. I'm doing some research for a potential feature documentary. 
Um, it's a it will be a character piece, um, kind of delving into the character of a very very interesting and inspiring person. Um, so I'm here spending some time with them because you know the nature of documentary is that I've done all this research about them, so I feel like I know them really well. They don't have really very much of an idea who I am. So it's all about just kind of hanging out and, and working out whether they feel that I'm the best person to tell their very unique and powerful story and whether I think that story is something that um, my natural tendencies as a filmmaker, um, whether I'll be able to tell that that well. Why are stories important? Stories are the only thing that um, separate us from animals, I think. You know, you've got... Um, our ability to tell stories is, is, obviously we have the ability to communicate, but other, other animals on the planet have abilities to communicate. It might be considered to be more rude, like kind of rudimental than us or like um, less sophisticated as our way of communicating. But stories define who we are, you know, whether it's gossiping um, to a friend about someone else or whether it's like a religious story, like not, not saying that, you know, religions aren't, true or anything like that. I'm an atheist myself, but you know, these are stories that we tell each other. Um, whether it's stories about the existence of money or, or governments or nations, um, they're the only things that make us unique in the world. And things like whether it's podcasting or making films or writing books or just telling a story to someone in the pub over a pint, that's kind of you connecting with yourself in a very, very human way and unique way, I think. Yeah. I think most travelers now, everybody walks around with a camera in their pocket, video, yeah, regular camera, and they're like really pretty killer cameras now too. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's crazy, the technology now. So there is like a, for some reason, this primal urge for us to capture our travels, make sure like uh, we can take some memories home. In that way, yeah, share them with friends and family, social media, all that good stuff. So part of that, I think one of the most challenging parts is shooting people in the country. It can be a delicate thing. There was uh, something online that was about protecting kids. And it was basically saying, like, you mm -hmm. shouldn't take pictures of kids. Like, if you wouldn't want it, the, the general rule was, like, if you wouldn't want that done to you, don't do it. Yeah. anywhere else type of thing like i don't want i wouldn't want like a bunch of people coming off a bus and like running up to my kids and starting to take pictures of them you know um, i mm -hmm. have seen people in downtown oslo like sneaking pictures of my kids which is kind of funny because oh, it's like girlfriend? yeah as like tourists coming from asia for example oh, okay it's, like, yeah, a different, yeah, yeah. you know it's like you know if you see a cute kid or whatever dressed up in like a very norwegian yeah. way to them or something oh uh, yeah okay i'm with you i thought you were talking about like dudes lurking in bushes or something <laughs> I was like, like, it's tourists. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. And it's like kind of the same if you're, you're in India and you see somebody with like an incredible outfit on and yeah. um, so colorful and they just have some spark in their eye or something and you just feel compelled to capture them on film in some mm -hmm. way. How do you go about doing that? What's your advice to people if they want to get pictures of locals and like get into that sort of thing? It's still something that I'm trying to become better at. And it's something that, um, you know, I don't necessarily have all the answers to. But the way I look at it is if you're taking someone's, 
photo, whether it's a photograph or, you know, even, even you interviewing someone for, for audio uh, in an audio way or whether it's video, you're taking someone, something from that person. So it's, it's really important that you treat that re- with respect. Likewise, though, on the flip side of that, it's really important to me in, my, in the way I approach these travel films is that I, I, you know, other travel filmmakers have different ways of doing things. I want to be just an observer. You know, I don't want to um, set up any scenes. I don't want to um, get normal people to be actors. So on the one hand, I can't approach them beforehand and ask them if I can take their, take a photo of them because that will ruin the authenticity of what's taking place. Um, so what I usually do is I usually take a, get a shot from a, a long distance and then if there's a scene unfolding or I feel there's a scene unfolding, I'll kind of get a little bit closer, a little bit closer until they, they're very aware that I'm getting a shot of them and then, you know, I kind of um, catch their eye and, and, you know, we maybe exchange a bit of a look or I'll wave at them or something like that. And then I just kind of try to read their facial expression and go from there. So if it looks like they're kind of enjoying the fact that I'm taking their photo, which in India is usually the case. That's in a country where the culture is made up that people love getting their photos taken and love taking photographs of you. Yeah, they love it. So it's a very easy thing to do in India. Uh, other countries though, Japan, for example, not so much. You have to be a bit more respectful. I think it's all down to the specific culture that you're in and you've got to feel your way through that. You know, if I approach someone slowly, slowly, and then I quickly became aware that they didn't want their their image to be captured by me. It wouldn't matter how good the shots are that I've captured previously, I, I just kind of wouldn't use them. You know, I'd make a mental note of it and, and just not use them. Um, so so it's all, it's just about respect and, and boundaries and, and uh, communication, communicating with these people and uh, but not being scared to do it as well. It's it's absolutely fine to ask someone if you if you can take their photo, I think. And all they're gonna say is no. And if they do, you've just gotta greet them with a smile and say thank you. Um, and and you know, say that well that's fine, that's their choice. If they caught you filming them and you haven't gone over and asked beforehand, then yeah, they could you know, you could be um, greeted with a bit of like uh, violence almost or, you know, a bit of a tendency to kind of freak out a little bit but that would be an extreme case yeah. I think you would but, know um, probably who to you know who to shoot and maybe who to steer clear from you know yeah totally you're watching the, but look, like, the drug like deal said, going down on the, on the corner you <laughs> probably don't want to get the camera out <laughs> yeah totally that actually happened to me in Paris I was, I was shooting um, a film for Adidas and we were in Paris in this incredible um, it was in a, like a, a working class um kind of like I guess you would call it like the projects in the states or in the in the UK it'd be like a council estate um and we were filming in this area and these people came over to us and they said right um we don't mind you filming here but just so you know you can't film any of our faces and in 10 minutes the boss is coming and there's a big deal about to go down so you should probably leave before then because he won't be very happy and we were like oh my god <laughs> let's get out of here um we hung around for maybe five minutes but but then we kind of quickly got off um but yeah people people are generally nice you know people will let you know if it's not appropriate to be filming or taking photos in an area 
And you just got to respect that. Why did you decide against doing the digital nomad thing? Like to just keep going like you kind of thought originally? You know, there's always this thing about when you go traveling for a long period of time, you quote unquote, find yourself, right? And that has obviously got like a very negative stigma around it because people like, you know, label it as being very wishy-washy, kind of like away with the fairies. But I think there is some truth to that. And the main, the reason that you, again, quote unquote, I feel like I've got to do that, find yourself, is because you just have time to to sit and think. I mean, in back at home, you're on autopilot so often that you just are going through the motions and you might not necessarily think about things. So then while we were doing that, um, I kind of came to the came to the conclusion that the most important thing in my life is community, um, and and feeling like I have a sense of purpose within that community. And I realised that my community was back in the UK. Um, when, while we were travelling, we were looking at all of these places where we might want to settle down for six months or, or potentially indefinitely, and we realised that we were just lacking that sense of community that we already had in the UK. On top of that. Being a digital nomad is a lot of work and it doesn't look like that when you watch someone's vlog, but what you're not seeing is the fact that they are working most probably from 7 a.m. till 8 p.m. every day, whether it's vlogging and, you know, going about your day and filming your day to editing it. Um, you know, you're working long hours, especially if you're trying to, to upload stuff on the fly and do all your own PR and do all your own advertising and, and kind of build that up. It's a lot of work. And for me, I like to make films, you know, I, I don't want to be a necessarily a vlogger um, or anything like that. So, and the films that I like to make take a, a quite a considerable amount of time to do so. So there's very little, there's not so much of an ability to make a, uh, like a passive income through them. You, you do them, they, and they help you to open doors to the, to maybe it's commercial work or something, something later down the road, but then coupled with the fact that we realized that we really wanted to be within a, our community, we ended up just after 15 months being like, should we go home? Yeah, let's go home. Yeah, it came uh, to a natural kind of conclusion for you guys, which is... Totally. We didn't run out of money or anything. We um, we just kind of were ready to go back. Um, you guys just sat down at dinner one night and you're like kind of both on the same page type of thing? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was my friend's um, It was my friend's birthday coming up and, and we were like, you know, it'd be really cool if we went back and surprised him. And it was like two months maybe before we were thinking about going home. We were just like, yeah, we're kind of ready to, to go home. Did you have to find a new place to live and everything like that when you came back? Did you get rid of... Yeah, we, we pretty much sold sold everything. Um, uh, uh, I moved back in with my parents. I'm lucky enough to have, you know, my parents who are, are like, you know, a part of my life and, and support me. So I was able to kind of move in with them for, I think, maybe a month when we got back. Um, and Emma, my girlfriend, moved in with her parents. They... Emma and my, Emma's family and my family live in different cities in the UK. So we spent a lot of time apart, which was very strange after spending so long, very intensely together. Um, but then, you know, after about a month, we, um, we, we managed to find a place in, in Manchester, which is where most of our friends are. And 
and move move back over there. Yeah, I was just curious because one of the intimidating things I know before people take off to travel, you were going indefinitely, but then you decided to come home after 16 months or whatever. And yeah. I mean, it can be intimidating when you get rid of everything. Like, oh, how am I going to, um, you know, I'm going to have to get everything when I come back. But then it's just like, I always tell people, there's like plenty of people waiting to take your money when you come back. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah totally. You can always find a place to live. You can always go buy things at the store. Um, yeah. So I don't I find that part myself. of the reintegration very difficult. The logistical part of the reintegration isn't as difficult, I don't think, as people make it out to be, uh, or some people. But then some of the, maybe the, the mindset stuff, kind of getting back into your own culture and stuff can be challenging. Yeah, totally. That's a, that was a bit of a, an, a th- an issue, not an issue, but a bit of an experience for us. Um, with, with the selling things, I always kind of thought, you know, okay, so say I sell, I sold a lot of camera gear that I just wouldn't need for the trip. And I knew that because I was going away for a long period of time, when I got back home, its value would have dropped so much that I may as well sell it now, you know, because when you buy camera gear, it's expensive and you, it's an investment. Um, and I kind of thought to myself when I was selling all my things, I was like, well, if I'm selling it for, say, £100 to someone on eBay, that means that I'll be able to buy it for £100 or less in a year or two, if, if I even find that I need it, because that was the value that I sold it for. Um, so, but then with the, with the culture, the, the like reverse culture shock, I didn't get it as much because as I said, when I was flying from, when I was going, traveling from Japan to Mexico, I had to go through Russia, then back to London. I had to wait in London for a week and then get a flight to Mexico city. Um, when I got back to London for that week, it was really bizarre. Um, mainly because when we were backpacking, when people are talking around us, we can't understand what they're saying. So it's just, I'm like in every conversation, it was almost like I could find, like it was a very fine tuned experience. Um, it's gone, that's gone away now. I don't experience that now. Um, and I remember when me and Emma got back home, we, we'd learned a little bit of Spanish to get by when we were in Central America because you kind of have to over there. And um, when hawkers in London would come up to us and ask us for you know, ask, you know, ask us for things, we would reply automatically in Spanish and it took a little while to kind of um, wheel that out, you know. Uh, but yeah, it was a bit of a shock. No, it's cool. I mean, and all that kind of ties in with what you said before where, you know, you I know you were using the air quotes about finding yourself because maybe that sounds cliche, but yeah. really I think it's just about connecting with yourself, right? Like you're giving your space, mm-hmm. yourself space to connect or reconnect with yourself. And when you do that on a deeper level over time, I feel like you can, and also we're changing as time goes on, the trip's changing us and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're also maybe able to go a bit deeper than within than you can when things, you know, the normal things are going on, the routines and all. I mean, you can make that space anywhere for yourself, but I just find like when you physically put yourself on the road, it's like, and, and you're in a situation like where you're traveling for months on end, you're just kind of forced into it, right? You're like forced to, if you don't want to look in the mirror at home, you can like, you can walk past the mirror, but like you ha- you can't avoid the mirror in, when you're traveling. Yeah. It's like right in front of you all the time. So I think that's why, or one of the reasons why some of these insights happen. I think it's cool because you could still be at home thinking, oh, I could be living this digital nomad lifestyle, wondering all about it. Now you've taken this trip, you've seen the world, you're still traveling. This has led to other things, but you're also like, oh, I just know that like lifestyle isn't for me. And yeah, that's there's 
definitely a lot of power in that. Like you don't feel like you're missing out on anything, I'm sure, because yeah, to- totally. I mean, I'm in Thailand. Mean, you know, I've been in Thailand now for two or three weeks. I can't wait to go back home. You know, to to kind of get back into my community. I kind of. Um, I kind of see myself as being a bit more location independent now than a digital nomad. And sometimes the two terms are interlinked, but I think that they are quite separate. I would say that location independence, I mean, that's kind of what you have, right? You can do your work anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, So you could be in China one week, you could be in Norway the next, the States the next, and your work wouldn't really suffer because of that. Um, It's the same, that's the same situation with me, but I do just have a base back at home, you know? To going back to something that you were just talking about, um, about going and finding yourself as well, I wouldn't, I would encourage people who are interested in going into the creative fields, to, whether they go traveling or not, maybe it's not even going traveling, but saving up some money to give themselves some time where they don't have to do, where they don't have to work every day, you know, so you save up some money to just lend yourself six months or a year, if, if that's possible, if you can work hard, hard and earn that money, um, is really, really important because the things that you're going to make when you're just left to your own devices are the things that come very naturally to you, you know, um, at least that's what I find, you know, when I'm doing work for clients and, you know, commercial work, like TV commercials and stuff, there's only so much input that I can have you know, um, there are other people as there's, you know, 20, 30 people all working on it. Um, but when I'm just by myself with my camera and my laptop, you know, that's when I find out who I am as a filmmaker, who I am as a creative. Um, and then because I've done that, I, I went and did that for a year, I've come back and I've got this little portfolio of content and now brands and clients come to me because of that content. Not whereas previously it was just because I was a filmmaker. So now I get to actually work on more projects that I that come more naturally to me. Yeah, which you're, makes me you're attracting the things you want because you're shooting things yeah. you want. But then also, I think that can be a struggle for people. They're like, well, why would I do this for free? You know, but like, it's not, you can't think of it like that. I don't think you're just putting something together and showcasing what you can do. And it's also, if it's something that's near and dear to your heart, like clearly these films are you still have this for, you know, at the very least, like you have these for yourself, right? You've accomplished this thing. You got this sense of accomplishment. You've created this piece of art. You've got memories from your trip because of it, all this other stuff that's around it. That's personal, right? Yeah, totally. And I I wouldn't, I'd, I'd say it's very, it's very strange to me to think about things like, well, I wouldn't do that for free because, you know, you've got to do things for more than just money. If you're just doing it for money, that's not going to make you happy, is it? Um, because the things that you can buy with that money is is never going to fill any part of your life with joy. Um, you know, all that money is is a is a uh, exchange for your time. Um, so I think that you know, doing something for free, it's not even something I think about. You know. Um, Actually, I spend most of my time now doing free projects, and then when paid ones come along, I you know I don't. I'm a, me and my girlfriend we're, we're kind of minimalists in a way. We we're not super uber minimalists, but we think very carefully about purchases that we make, and we ask ourselves, you know, is this going to bring joy to my life before we make purchases? Um, and because of that, we don't need very much money to to survive, um, even though we live in a relatively expensive city. Um, so it liberates us to just work on personal projects. Um, and then when paid ones come our way, 
you know, I get to even think about it. Do I want to do this? Um, is this going to make me happy for two or three months? Um, is this a story that I want to tell or that will better the world in some way or inspire someone else, you know? I love that. Yeah, when you know the things that make you feel free, personal freedom, whatever that means to you, I mean, it's easy on the surface to say, oh, well, if I had like all this money, then I would have freedom. But like you just said, I mean, this is true for me too. One of the biggest aspects of me having personal freedom in my own life is the ability to work on projects that... I want to work on and do creative things. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I can do that. And it's also a huge part of my life and something that really, like I couldn't go back from that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would find it very time. difficult. No. Uh, speaking of being minimal, the travel gear setup, you know, with, I mean, yeah. since you're obviously an expert in this, but if you were giving somebody like, advice on like the minimal setup to capture some good stuff. Uh, what would you, mm -hmm. what's a little pack you would give them for travel? What would be in it? Um, my, my pack was very small. You know, everything that I, everything that made the, the hand of India film um, and also Annapurna sky and also um, under the rope, which are some other films that I made during that period uh, when I was traveling were created with um, a small, kind of DSLR size camera, it's a mirrorless camera. It was the Sony A7S II, for anyone who knows what that means. Um, I had a Canon 24 to 70 millimeter lens. Um, I had a, DV, a DJI Mavic Pro drone and a Glidecam 2000, which is like a, for those who don't know what that is, that's kind of like a Steadicam thing. You know, you'll see them on like American football games or like, you know, uh, you'll see them on kind of soccer fields or whatever it is. Um, that was it, you know, so I had one camera, one lens, uh, a, um, a, a small drone um, and a little thing to stabilize the camera. And that, that was it. And my, and my laptop. Um, so you don't need much. Saying that, um, I built up that kit list over a number of years. If you were to go out and buy that all straight away, the cost of it would be quite daunting, but I did it over a number of years. So, you know, it wasn't so much of a big hit with the cost. If I was recommending today for someone to go out and set themselves up on a low, lowish budget, I would say go out and get a small camera like the Sony a65, something in the Sony a6500 range. It's smaller than my camera, more lightweight. It has better, like things like better autofocus. So you know, you're able to do those kind of things. And if you get a smaller camera, you usually, um, you don't have to buy an expensive, you know, if you want to get a gimbal or something like that, you can get a cheaper one because the camera's smaller and lighter. Um, but I, I wouldn't take loads of gear, you know, choose one lens, choose a versatile lens. Yes, you could carry, you know, Today with me now, I've got five lenses, but this project's different. So I'm just a one-man band when I'm doing this kind of stuff. Um, when I'm back in the UK, I rely on the talents of much better people at these very specialised um, skills. You know, um, capturing audio is a very, very specialised skill. And when I'm back in the UK, I have someone that I go to for that, you know, who I get on with and we work well together and he's very talented. Um, but for this... I, for, for the Hand of India, for example, and Annapurna Sky, and again, Under the Rope, um, I just captured it using the camera, no microphones, 
the camera has a very small, very bad microphone, but all of most of the sound that you hear in all of those films are built in post-production. Um, so they're just built from the ground up using sound effects. Um, there is a there is like a, a, a one exception with my film Under the Rope. There's an interview that is the bedrock of the narrative for that film, um, and for that I I had a like a small lavier microphone, which is it's like a little. Uh, People call them like tie clip microphones, I guess. They're like tiny little microphones that you clip onto someone. I know this gear thing can be a deep dive, but I just wanted to get some general recommendations from you. So I appreciate that. I'm actually going to meet, um, we got to wrap this up because I'm going to meet a, an audio film, like a somebody that work, does audio on film sets <laughs> that lives around the corner from oh, me. Oh, cool. Nice. He's going to show nice. me his in-home studio and give me a little tour of it. So I love how, because just piggybacking off what you said about that is a special skill in and of itself i think so um yeah i i just love how you have been able to not only travel uh the world with like the budget you mentioned on that extended trip but also just figuring out okay hey through travel you've kind of figured out what the location independent lifestyle means to you and over time mm -hmm you know, learning about yourself on the trip, finding yourself, we'll use it in air quotes, and um, working on these projects and everything, you've kind of handcrafted not only these beautiful films, but this like beautiful lifestyle for yourself, right? Yeah, and it, well, I was very scared before I went away. It's a very big, it's a very big decision to leave your life back at home. And, as, you know, in my case, I'd spent years and years building a career, which was built on the connections that I'd made with people. And in filmmaking, there's always someone cheaper, younger, better coming up through the ranks. So I was very, very worried thinking, well, what if I come back and I need to go back? To how, you know, what if I can't find any work? And a producer friend of mine who travels a lot called Jess Ratham, um, she ended up giving me some good advice. And she said, look, you're going away for 12 months. When you come back home, people are going to say to you, I can't believe that my original plan was to go away for 12 months, you know, we ended up going away for 15. But she said, um, people are going to say to you, I can't believe it's already been 12 months because back at home, life moves very fast. But when you're away, life will move very slow. And the experiences that you'll have when you're away will define you in a way that you can't even predict right now. And when you go home, you'll be much better for it. And people won't even realize you've really been gone. Um, and it, it, was, it was very true. You know, I got back home, people were like, oh, I can't believe it's been that amount of time. Um, here's some work, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, it was very seamless, very easy. That's awesome that you shared that. I think it's just great advice and great place to wrap it up. And I think you should definitely check out Simon's films, smulvaney.tv, S-M-U-L-V-A-N-E-Y.tv. Best place to find you, right? Yeah, uh, Instagram as well, which is just S Mulvaney TV, same spelling. Um, and type my name into YouTube or just Google and you'll, it'll, it'll all come up. Right on. I appreciate you coming on the show, Simon. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over um, these last months, and, or maybe it's been a, over a year now, even since we started emailing. So I'm um, really excited to just have a chance to get to know you further on this podcast and share this with everybody. So thank, thanks so much for your advice and sharing your story today. No, thank you, man, because it's one thing putting all this time into making these films and it's another thing finding an audience for them. And by finding an audience, I'm able to get criticism and improve as a filmmaker. So without things like this, 
you know, I'm unable to take the next steps. So you're telling people to go watch it and then criticize you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man. The good and the bad. I want to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly, like, if you don't like any of the films, that's cool. You know, that's, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to hear why. Or if you do like them, again, it'd be interesting to hear why. For sure. Yeah. Well, good luck. And um, we'll stay in touch. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, buddy. See you soon. Take care. There you have it, my chat with Simon. I hope you enjoyed it. And he asked me to mention his new film just came out. It's called Being British. And he wanted to answer the question, what does it mean to be British? So he talked to different people about it and got their responses. And now he's doing a campaign on social media. So if you are British and you want to answer that question and chime in, you can use the hashtag being British. Check out Simon's other films uh, at his website. Again, he's a, he's a great dude and um, really hope we get to hang out in person and have another chat at some point. So thanks for listening to today's interview and today's show. A couple wrap-up things. You know we got some questions to talk about, some things to consider as I like to do here in the outro pieces, and spend a little extra time with those of you that want to hang out with me here, uh, which I always love. By the way, as we enter a new year, this community is just so meaningful to me, and I am so honored to continue to host this podcast for you, continue to provide this platform um, to share ideas and to share knowledge and to help people travel the world on their terms. That's the goal here. So, What I'm getting at is if you want to get in touch and you have anything you want to share in regards to the show, what guests you want to recommend, topics you want me to cover, uh, things you just want me to share with the community, if I can do it, I will. You can always hit me up, jason at zerototravel.com. I do read all the emails I get, and I appreciate every single one of you that spend time, spend any time listening this year or last year or the years before the hats. And uh, I'm just uh, humbled to continue to bring you hopefully a high quality podcast that you get a lot of value out of. That is the goal here. So what I'm saying is thank you. I'm expressing my gratitude. I want to say a big thanks to you. Before we get into this whole question of gravitational pull, you heard me talk about it or maybe allude to it during the interview. I want to bring up some perspectives that got me thinking in a different way that might get you thinking in a different way as well today. First, a quick thank you once again to Victorinox for supporting today's show. They make that Swiss Army knife, the official Swiss Army knife, and if you're looking for a great gift idea for yourself or others, of course you could pick up a Swiss Army knife or a multi-tool, something all travelers need, but they also make awesome luggage, and they have carry-ons in multiple sizes, They have removable USB ports, padded laptop compartments, a whole bunch of other features. They can expand um, up to 47%, available hard side and soft side. Really great pieces of of luggage and other travel gear. So you can get 15% off for being a listener of this show by using the promo code 015, just 015. And that promo code's good till the end of this month, December 31st, at the time of this recording, uh, December 31st, 2019. So if you want to pick yourself up a great gift as a traveler yourself or for another traveler victorinox.com use that promo code 015 get 15 percent off before the end of the year you know you can get your swiss army knives engraved you can have a little personal touch there uh there's just uh, some very useful stuff there for all travelers so check them out thanks to them for supporting today's show now this idea of 
gravitational pull. Uh, this got me really thinking when uh, it came up during the conversation, and you probably heard I was talking about how I ended up bringing this old school tape recorder on a trip to South America and just recording interviews way before I even got into podcasting or before podcasts were even a thing. And uh, this is just something I naturally gravitated towards. For, I don't know why. I didn't sit in the store and say, I don't, I don't even remember. I just remember feeling compelled to get a recorder and record some conversations with travelers because, I mean, I guess I do know why. It's the whole genesis for this podcast. It's because after talking to so many travelers out on the road and seeing how many ways there were to travel, I always thought to myself, people got to know this. I got to share this information somehow, some way. Uh, maybe next time I'm in my garage back in Colorado, I'll try to dig out those tapes and digitize them or something so we could get like, a, I don't know, some old school analog stuff going on on the podcast here. See what, see what I said. But I remember interviewing a pilot who was down there uh, taking airline courses because it was cheaper to do it there than in Argentina than in his home country. I just remember continually being fascinated by all the different ways you can travel and wanting to share it, which is what's happening here. I thought about this recently as well as I've been doing some songwriting and playing guitar with my buddy and we're kind of starting this band thing, which is really exciting. And what I realized is that I, I used to be in a rap band way back in the day, but I remember being in, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade and just sitting in class. It might have been eighth grade. It might have even been seventh grade. I don't remember. But just taking out a notepad and all of a sudden, I'd been listening to a lot of hip hop, uh, just, start, just started writing lyrics, just started writing uh, songs. And we eventually did form a hip hop band, but it was just something I naturally did like nobody it wasn't an assignment nobody told me to do it so uh i was just thinking about this because wow these things that i've done years ago still come into play with my current life now and i just wonder if we should maybe pay more attention to the things we naturally gravitate towards and if we have put those things to the side in our lives try incorporating them again since i've started on this songwriting kick it's just such a freeing, uh, rewarding thing to be writing lyrics again in songs. I don't know why I ever stopped. I guess I just got busy doing other things and traveling and whatnot. But, uh, you know, your interests come and go. But it's just funny how things that I had done so many years ago just come back and resurface. And maybe there's a reason for that. So I just wanted to share all this because maybe you're sitting there doing exactly what you were doing when you were a kid, or maybe you hadn't thought about some of the things or reflected on some of the things that you used to do a lot that you're not doing right now. Maybe you used to draw a lot or paint or write poetry or whatever. Everybody's a creative soul in their own way. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because, hey, it might get you thinking about something in a different way today. And that's one of the things I love to do with this podcast. And who knows what that means? Maybe it means you... Re, uh, rediscover an old hobby or something you love. Maybe it means you incorporate that in your travel somehow. Maybe it means nothing, whatever, but it's worth sharing. So uh, I just wanted to, yeah, just have a little dialogue with that and share a little bit about that with you. Um, before I let you go, I also want to give a shout out to uh, one other person. Well, we talked about the zip-off pants review in the beginning, but I also wanted to say thanks because right below that, 
was a nice review. And I like to end on a positive note. And this was from Brooke. And she said, I'm the only, this was the title of the review, the only guy hosted podcast I listened to. She said, this is one of my favorite podcasts. Jason makes it feel like you're sitting across the table from him. Just two people talking life and dreams and travel. Also, this is the only podcast hosted by a guy that I can subscribe to. He doesn't mansplain. If you're not listening, you should be. <laughs> that like felt really nice. So yeah, that thank you for that, Brooke. It was very, uh, very thoughtful and very kind for you to take the time to uh, leave a re- review and just say that. And I am honored that I'm the only a guy hosted podcast that you um that you listen to so thanks and it's funny you say um just two people talking life and sitting across the table because you know i'm sitting at a table right now and i look at these empty seats and i do really when i'm recording these things i do just kind of imagine somebody out there listening uh just hanging out here with me and having a conversation and um that's that kind of puts me in the mindset to to record these intro and outro pieces for you because uh i i know i'm talking to somebody out there and even though i don't always get the response like i do in real life i get it eventually through emails and reviews and things like that so uh if you haven't left a review or, or taken time to just let me know what you think of the show please uh go ahead and do that it would be a nice uh it would be nice to hear from you and anytime you pass through Norway, I'm mostly in Oslo, Norway. So look me up. I love to meet up with listeners. Um, just send me a video, send me a picture where you're at. I don't know. Just get in touch. We're a community here. This isn't a one-way thing. I love to hear from you. So I just wanted to throw that out there one more time. Now, before I let you go, I'll leave you with a quote from Stephen Hawking, since we're talking about the gravitational pull of things, things we gravitate towards. Why not have a quote on gravity? And here it is from Stephen Hawking. He said, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist. And that's it. So spontaneous creation. Get out there and spontaneously create something today. Create some happiness for somebody, for yourself. Create some love. Create some... Uh, physical objects create awareness around something you hadn't noticed before get out and create today my friend I'm going to do the same thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day and until next time cheers this podcast has been brought to you by zerototravel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality 